Man, I love to celebrate what God's doing through our partners. Jameson Krill and his team are going to be going to Greece, and we could not be more excited about what God's going to do with them. Now, let's dive into the Elijah series. So reminding you of where we are, we have Israel in its darkest time, Ahab, a wicked king, Jezebel, a wicked queen, Elijah, the prophet of God, who has uh, basically had a run-in with all of the prophets of Baal and defeated them on Mount Carmel. It was this amazing victory. And now he has the mission of eradicating completely Baal worship in the entire country. That's what's happening. Well, while Elijah is eradicating Baal worship, Ahab is an unrepentant king. He still has not repented. He still has not turned to God. And in the middle of all this, we're going to look at an incident that happened today that I think we can all learn so much from. Let's dive in. First 1 Kings 21, 1 through 3, says that this happened. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. Now today, we're going to look at this guy, Naboth. He's a pretty inspiring figure. And let me talk to you about Naboth for a minute because I want you to understand what's going on here. So first of all, Ahab's a wicked king. We know that. And Ahab, not a good guy at all. And he has this palace that we're talking about here that's near Naboth's vineyard is most uh, theologians and most experts would say this is not his main palace. This is his winter vacation. So this is vacation home. Some of y'all have beach houses. Well, this is his beach house, all right? And as he goes down there to hang out, to get away from how hard his job is being the worst king Israel ever had, he goes on his vacations and he sees this beautiful vineyard that belongs to this guy Naboth that we're introduced to in the Bible, all right? And Ahab decides, I want that. I want that vineyard. Now the problem with that is that the Israelites had been forbidden by God to sell their land. Their land was considered an inheritance from God. It was not theirs to sell, and they were not to do that no matter what the circumstances. Now, this guy Naboth, we don't have his biographical information, but what we can assume by looking at the situation is he is a committed Israelite to the living God and to the law of God. So this guy's committed, and you need to understand how committed he is. You do understand Ahab's a wicked king with a reputation for killing people, and his wife even more so. How many of you know that Naboth knew exactly what was going to happen when he said no to the king? Does anyone in this room believe that he thought that was going to go well? Of course it's not going to go well. And yet, he decided this. You can write it down. Naboth refused to disobey God, even though it would have been profitable, it would have been easier, and it would have been culturally acceptable. Those three things are absolutely true. But here's the thing that I love about Naboth, and I think he inspires us today. This brother had a not-for-sale sign in his life. He had one of these. And we need these too. He had decided that the vineyard was not for sale. And it didn't matter what Ahab was offering him. Now think about it. Ahab could have just uh, steamrolled him, but some of us look at it and go, well, he offered him money for it. He said, I'll pay you what it's worth. Name the price. And, and also, he said, if that doesn't work, I'll get you a better vineyard. But none of that mattered. It did, that didn't matter. It was no circumstance existing that would have allowed Naboth to disobey God. He decided it doesn't matter the money you offer me. It doesn't matter. And the other thing you need to understand is probably no one in the country, with the exception of maybe Elijah, would have said anything about him selling the vineyard to Ahab. Everyone would have said, oh, way to, way to flip the vineyard. Make some money there, pal. 
Oh, nice new vineyard. Where'd you get it? Oh, Ahab gave that to you, huh? I don't think anyone was uh, strident enough in their commitment to God at this point in the country to have noticed that he sold it. It would have been culturally acceptable. But he decided it's not for sale. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that you've decided is not for sale? You know what I think? Let me give you an example. I think that we all in this room need to decide that our integrity is not for sale. No matter what it costs us. That to make a little money, we're not going to give up our integrity. Or to make life easier for us, we're not going to give up our integrity. Or to make people happy, or to make people think better of us, even if it cost us our reputation, if it cost us everything we have, we're not for sale. Our integrity is not for sale. And I think it's time that some of us decide that in our lives. Some of you, if you're married today, you need to put a not for sale sign on a marriage. It's not for sale. Oh, I know it's culturally acceptable to just not take marriage seriously, but we are covenantal people. We believe in the covenant of marriage. We believe that God sees it very seriously, and we need to be a group of people in a world where marriage is not held in high regard. We need to be people that sticks a not-for-sale sign on our marriages, that we're going to know we're going to fight for it. We know it would be easier. We know I could just trade this one in for another model. All these things that we do in our culture, but no, 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 we're not for sale. Some of us need to say, you know what, our kids are not for sale. I know what the culture tells me. I know the culture says that I should, that shouldn't worry about this. And li- Listen, we should care about our kids, and our number one job should be to make sure, not that our kid makes the team, not that our kid's successful one day, that our kid loves and follows Jesus. And we need to say, our, our kids are not for sale. And let me tell you, we have a culture that's gunning for them, man. We have a world that wants them. Some of us in this room need to decide, my purity is not for sale. I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch what's in front of my eyes. I'm going to watch what I allow to happen in my life. And I'm telling you, I'm, I need to put some not for sale signs up in my life, and you do too. Naboth was willing to, and when the rubber hit the road, he was willing to keep holding on to the sign. Ahab, I know it's probably going to cost me everything. I'm not selling the vineyard. It's not for sale. Notice that it had nothing to do with how much he loved the vineyard. It's not that Naboth's like, Brother, I like this vineyard. No way are you getting it. No, no. What did he say? He said, God forbids that I sell you this vineyard. I might would sell it to you if I could. Sounds like you're giving me a pretty good deal. But it's not the vineyard that matters so much to me. It's the God who told me not to sell it. And it's not for sale. Now, let's talk about Ahab. Naboth teaches us to put a not-for-sale sign up. Ahab is giving us a warning to watch out for. And and it's a warning to watch out for a certain type of sin in our lives. And it's the sin of covetousness. Ahab is living in the sin of covetousness. And we are warned over and over in Scripture to not covet. And yet, I'm not even sure we know what that means. And I think we think, ah, it's not a big deal. It's just one of those things that we need to watch out for. Yet, the Bible teaches us coveting can be deadly. It is in Ahab's case. What is coveting anyway? Well, if you go to the definition of it, it is to desire what belongs to another in two ways. To to make it coveting. It has to be inordinate or culpable. And it's going to become both for Ahab. Inordinate means it's kind of like, why do you want that? You already have everything, dude. Look at Ahab. Ahab's the king. He has everything. Why does he need this guy's vineyard? Have you ever tried to buy a gift for someone who already had everything? Christmas time rolls around, you got that person in your life, and you're like, I don't know what to get them. They have everything. And, and I'm one of those guys, I don't like giving gift cards 
because I want, I want it to be so thoughtful. I want to get you something. And so what I end up doing is buying people things I like. And then if they don't like them, I'm like, hey, if you don't want it, I love you. I don't want to, uh, you know, inconvenience you with that, so I'll take it. Right? Ahab had everything. He's the king. And yet, for some reason, he wants that. Ahab's a guy that it's never enough. That is the heart of coveting. It's when you've got plenty, but you need that. You want more. It's never, ever enough. And culpably, sometimes we, not only is it inordinate, it doesn't make any sense, but also it becomes culpable when you act on it. That's what he's going to do. God had warned his people, and certainly Naboth and Elijah and the men of God in this nation of Israel would have known about this command, and certainly Ahab did too. It says this, You shall not, and can you believe it? They were dealing with the same stuff we deal with. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or their servants or their ox. That's their tractor or their donkey. That's their car or anything else that your neighbor has. That's the truth. Don't covet what they have. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. That was happening in ancient Israel. Now, how did that work? Can you believe it? They're walking around. They're like, how did they afford that tent? They work at the same place I do. They've got a tent twice the size of my tent. How'd they get that tent? Right? They, how, they were, it's the human heart. The hu- humans are the same. We just have bigger, better, nicer toys than they had back then. And you go, well, I've never dealt with coveting in my life. Yeah, you have. I know because I deal with it in my own life. Haven't you ever had a day where you thought, my house is so, I'm so glad. I, I'm so thankful for my house. I got a roof over my head. We, everybody's got a bedroom. We got indoor plumbing. That's nice. Uh, everything's good. And, and you know what? If I look at the rest of the world, you know, most of the world doesn't live the way I live. And then your friends, they bought a new house in a new neighborhood, and they invite you over to dinner. And your house is just fine until you roll up into their driveway. And then you get over to their house, and you get out. And they're, especially when they're your same age and kind of same stage of life, and you get out, and you're like, huh, wonder how they afforded this tent. Yeah. And you walk in, and you're like, man, this is way bigger than my house. Woo, look at this. This, is, this isn't just normal hardwood floor. This is like, uh, this is that reclaimed stuff, man. This is stuff that even though they made it at Lowe's and it's manufactured materials, it looks like it came from the 1800s and cowboys walked on it for 100 years. And I got it now. Just beat up a little bit. We pay to beat up the wood. It's interesting, isn't it? And man, this like, and you're walking in and you begin to covet. You don't mean to, but you begin to go, you know what, I should have something. Suddenly you forgot how nice your house is. You just like their house. Oh, y'all know what happens all the time. And God warns us about this. He says, don't let that sneak in. And we do it, hey, we do it with spouses. Oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. Like you think, man, I'm so blessed to have you. And then you go on that business trip with that person from work. And and every time y'all are at lunch, this person just makes you laugh. And you start thinking, man, that's the most incredible, exciting person in the world. Sure they are. Because they're not paying bills and taking care of the dog and running your kids all over town with you every day. That's why they're so cool right now. It's not real. It's not real life. They haven't seen you walk out of the bathroom with your hair going 40 different directions. They haven't had an argument with you. 
They haven't had a time where the money wasn't enough at the end of the month to pay the bills and see how you react. They haven't walked through that. They haven't dealt with a rebellious teenager with you for years like it. So you begin to go, this is a better option. And the Bible says, watch out, do not covet. It's, it's a sneaky thing into our hearts. See, covetousness is a form of greed. It's a form of greed. It was for Ahab. Nothing was enough. He just wanted more and more and more. Nothing was enough. He had everything, but he needed that vineyard. He needed more. Jesus made a statement in the book of Luke that I think is both a warning in a sense, but also even more so, I think the intent is to set us free. He said this, take care and be on your guard against, there it is, all what? Covetousness. And here's why. So if I go, well, why should I worry so much about coveting? What's the big deal? And Jesus is telling us that the big deal of coveting is that if you are covetous, you are missing the point of life. Look what he says. He says, here's why you shouldn't covet. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. In other words, can, can, can you let Jesus set you free today? Your life means a lot more than your stuff. So don't let what you own own you. And maybe more importantly today, don't let what someone else owns own you either. Because you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know how they got it or how they didn't get it or, or what trouble it may be bringing them in the very moment that you're wanting it. You just don't know. So what happens with Ahab? Well, Ahab gets his feelings hurt. He's the king and someone told him he could not have the vineyard. So look what happens. Ahab went into his house. Verse 4 and 7. He was vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. Look at this. And he laid down on his bed and he turned away his face and he would not eat any food. What's well, a real king, isn't it? It's a strong leader. Pouting. That's what coveting does. Don't we do that? I've worked my whole life and... If I, if I would have had a daddy like they had, I, I would be able to be ahead in life like they are too. You know how this works. Or then we begin to make up stories in our mind. Well, I bet how they have all that stuff is they're just in debt. That's how they do it. And I'm smart because I didn't go into that kind of debt. Like we've got all these narratives around. Coveting is wicked. It does something weird in our hearts. So poor Ahab won't even eat. Get that food away from me. And here comes Jezebel. Jezebel's the only person in his life who he allows to have influence. Elijah doesn't have influence. He is, he's pushed all the truth tellers away. They're far, far away. Jezebel says to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now let me tell you what just happened. When Ahab desperately needed to hear truth, he gets lies. What he wanted to hear is what Jezebel told him. He wanted someone to tell him that not only should you have that vineyard, you should go take that vineyard. And that's what he got. Now let me just warn you, church, you need to be real careful who you listen to. It's very important that you have people in your life to tell you sometimes not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. 
And Ahab had gotten rid of anyone who would tell him what he needed to hear. Elijah kept telling him over and over again what he needed to hear, and he pushes Elijah as far away as he can. And any other prophets that would tell him the truth, he pushes them away. He even has many of them killed. He does not want anyone to challenge him or tell him the truth. So what does he do? He marries a woman even more wicked than him who will absolutely confirm any wicked desire he has. So he comes home, and Jezebel does exactly what he knows she will. He said, she says to him, you're the king. You not only deserve that vineyard, you have the power to take it, and we're going to go get it. It's very dangerous. It is crucial, church, to listen to the right people and ignore the wrong people. I can't tell you how crucial this is. Who has your ear? Who has influence in your life? Who stirs you up? The original language here is the idea of stirring him up. That's what Jezebel did. She stirred up his heart with the spoon of her wickedness. And he got him all stirred up. Yeah, I do need that. See, some of you have friends that are stirring you up to not fight for your marriage. Watch out for that. If you go to lunch with your friends and they're like, you know what, you deserve better. You should be happy. Stirring you up. What you need is some friends to look at you and go, you know, you're in a covenant relationship and need to fight for your marriage. How can we help you do that? See the difference? In every arena of our lives. The Bible warns us about this. It tells us in Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now what this verse is telling you is this. Listen to me, church. If you have someone in your life who's willing sometimes to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear, you better hang on to that person. Because that's a true friend. People who just tell you what you want to hear all the time don't love you as much as you think they do. They just like having a relationship with you, and they're not willing to rock the boat. I had a really good friend years and years ago, just a few years into my marriage, and my wife and I were out with, with them, and this friend of mine, were on the, his back porch after we were all out together, and it's just he and I, and he looked at me and he said, hey, man, I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed it tonight. You, like, interrupted Nan a lot. You do that a lot. And you're an extrovert, like, you, you know, talk a lot. And she's an introvert, harder for her to talk. And when she is talking, you, like, come over the top of her in conversation. All You need to watch that. And I looked at him and said, don't you ever talk to me like this again. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> you know what I did? I had to take it. I had to sit there. Now, did I like it initially? Was I like, bro, bring me more of that? No. But do you know how thankful I was for that? Do you know that he, like, I couldn't have paid for better counseling than I got on that couch on that back porch that day. He was right. He was right, and he helped me. He saw something. He loved me enough and my marriage enough, and he, and he was secure enough to go, if you get mad at me, it'll be fine. I'm telling you the truth here. You need people in your life, not that beat you up. But that love you enough to go, hey, have you thought about this? You need to hear this. You need to hear the truth. Watch out for people that only tell you what you want to hear. That's all Ahab left, had left in his life. And he makes one bad decision after another, one wicked decision after another. So Jezebel says, basically, his silence gives her permission, as it always has, to go do what she wants to do. So she concocts a plan. How do you take down a man of integrity? How do you take down a good man? How do you take down a man who's doing the right thing? You make up stuff about him, and that's what they're going to do. Verse 9 through 10 and verse 16, she wrote in the letters to the leaders of Israel, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And they set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. 
Then take him out and stone him to death. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So let me tell you what happens here. They get some people to lie about Naboth. Two big lies, that he's cursed the king and cursed God. You know that both of those aren't true. We know they're not true, right? We know the real story. The real story is he didn't curse Ahab. He wasn't disrespectful. He said, I can't give you this. It's not mine to give. And secondly, he didn't curse God. He had honored God. And yet, notice, I don't know if you saw it because the Bible doesn't give you the gory details. Is this a happy ending for Naboth? The Bible says they did it. They destroyed his reputation and they took his life. And you look at that and you think, wait a minute. Like, surely God's not going to let this happen. The guy did everything God wanted him to do and risked everything. God's not going to come through and rescue him? Of course he rescued him on the other side of the grave. When Naboth's eyes closed on this side of the grave, they opened on the other side in absolute glory. But it didn't happen on this side. And what I want you to understand from this story is we live in a fallen world where injustice does happen. It happens. It's not fair. Fair went out in the garden. That's what I tell my kids all the time. That's not fair. Fair went out in the garden. See, it's theology and action in my home. It's not fair. What happened to Jesus on the cross wasn't fair. People say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? It's happened one time in human history. The Bible says, none of us are good, no, not one. But there was one who was good. His name was Jesus, and they crucified him. And a bad thing happened to a good person. But that bad thing ended up being a good thing because when he died, the justice of God was fully satisfied. The wrath of God fully satisfied in the death of Christ for all who would believe in him. The gospel, and that's really good news, church. So, we see here that it does happen. And what happened next is interesting because you think, well, I guess it doesn't matter. I guess God doesn't care about justice then. Absolutely he does. It's hard for us to understand. We only see what's in front of us in this world, but there is the entire world and there is uh, eternity ahead of us. But God does care about justice. Look what it says in 1 Kings 21, 17. So after all this happens, if you were a good person and you were going, man, what happened to Naboth? Well, here's what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, remember him. And said, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel. He's in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, and he's taken possession. You go to him and you say, Thus says the Lord. Have you killed and also taken possession? And then you say to him, Thus says the Lord. In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, those dogs are going to lick your blood. Yeah, every, every gathering has said that. Ooh. Right? That's rough stuff. He's not playing. See, I did a funeral this week for a great man in Pensacola, Florida. And at the graveside, I looked at the people and I said, you do know his name was Wayne. I said, y'all know Wayne's fine right now. He's totally not in this casket. He's fine. Naboth was fine now. God is faithful to Naboth. But now it was time to deal with justice. God cares about justice and he will deal with all injustice either now or later. And we have to trust him with that. Now we are to seek justice and we are to seek to do whatever we can to make kingdom come and do all that we can to do what is right and make things right but in the end we must trust the sovereign God with what we cannot handle and that's what Naboth had to do so he lost his life over this in glorifying God but God saw all of it now what made Ahab so wicked a lot of things 
But one thing contributed to his, his grotesque and gratuitous wickedness, and it was this. Look at 1 Kings 21, 25. There was none who sold himself. Remember that not for sale sign? The Bible says of Ahab, he was a man who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But look, here's something that helped him. Jezebel, his wife, incited him to do these things. You know what that word incite means? To stir up. There it is again. He had someone in his life always stirring the pot. Let's go kill all the prophets. Let's build more temples to Baal. Hey, that vineyard belongs to you. Always stirring his heart in the wrong direction. Did you know that you can also stir someone's heart in the right direction? Here's good news. It's not all negative. Spoons are good. They can either be used to hit somebody, I guess. Or you can use this to stir a nice pot of gumbo, y'all. Can I get an amen? Amen. Spoon's not always bad. Now listen. The Bible's clear here that Jezebel stirred Ahab's heart in the wrong direction. But did you know the Bible tells us we should stir one another's hearts in the right direction? Listen to Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us, that's us believers, the church, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, good works being obedience to God, not neglecting to meet together. You know what that means? It means that we need to meet together to stir one another's hearts in small groups. In the local church. I love the local church. I love what's happening here. I love what happens at our campuses. I love what happens in homes all over Baldwin County and Mobile County and Clark County when our campuses go into their small groups. You know what we do? We stir one another up. And we don't just stir one another up in any old random direction. We stir one another up to follow God and to love God and to put not for sale signs up in our lives. That's what we do. The Bible says encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Our whole lives, we're to stir one another up. It means we all need a spoon in our hand. And we need to do this. We need to stir others up and we need to choose wisely whom we allow to stir us up. So I'll ask you today. Earlier I asked you, what in your life have you put up a not for sale sign on? But I'm going to ask you now, who do you allow to stir you up? Some of us, we allow our favorite news channel to stir us up every single day. You wake up, get your cup of coffee and turn whatever your news channel is on. And you begin to lap it up. And they're stirring you up. Ideology, if you totally commit to any ideology fully, removes all objectivity from your life. You do know that, right? Be careful of that. Be committed to the truth. Be committed to the gospel. Who stirs you up? Do you have anyone in your life that you think would check you if you were going the wrong direction? Look, I've told you this before. My small group guys, we met this Wednesday night. I'm telling you, if they saw me blowing up my life, they would drag me out behind my house and do physical harm to me. I believe that. They love me that much. They stir, they stir my heart to want to follow Jesus more. You know what I'm glad? I married a woman in my marriage who stirs my heart to follow Jesus more. She stirs my heart. For 22 years, she has done that. And I hope I stir her heart to want to follow Jesus more. This is what the Bible's calling us to do. Ahab did not have that in his life. So you go, well, what happened to Ahab? Well, let me tell you. If you're, if you're okay with it, it's pretty tough to read, but it's in the Bible, so don't blame me. I didn't write it. Here's what happened to Ahab. So Ahab's thinking, I got my vineyard, I'm the king, I'm fine. He's not worried about Elijah. When Elijah says, here's what's going to happen to you, he's like, whatever. And here's what happens. Look at this. A battle breaks out. So you don't realize what God's up to. You don't know when it's going to happen. 
a battle happens, and I want you to see the random nature of this. There's a big battle happening. Ahab is pretty much out of danger. He's the king, but he's out there. He's in a chariot, and look at this. A certain man, no one will ever know his name. It could be Bob who couldn't even see well. Okay? A certain man just drew his bow. He's out there, and he's like, I wonder what will happen if I do this. Pulls his bow back, lets the arrow go. He drew his bow at random. He's not aiming at anything, but this arrow struck. That arrow struck Ahab, the king of Israel, in the only spot it could have gotten him. How many of you know that's not a random arrow? It hit him between the scale armor and the breastplate. It's the only spot it could have got him and killed him. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around, carry me out of the battle, I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot. You can see this. Facing the Syrians until that evening, he died. And the blood of his wound had flowed into the bottom of the chariot. You've got the visual. About sunset, a cry went out through the army. They all found out the king is dead. The battle's over. Every man to his own country. And then the king died, and he, he was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. So, justice, right? But you go, wait a minute. There, there was one more thing God promised. Wasn't it? I hate to show you this, but... I want you to see that he does what he says he's going to do. And no one else knew this, by the way. It was only Elijah that told him what was going to happen. But they washed his chariot, just normal people, by the pool of Samaria. It had all that blood in it. And the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that, that he had spoken. Now that is tough, isn't it? That's tough stuff. But it's exactly what God said would happen. Why do we read all of the word of God? Not because I want to talk about dogs and blood. But I want you to know that your God cares about justice and he does everything he says he will do. He does it. And he is faithful. And more than Ahab getting what was his, I'm glad that I know that Naboth got what was his. He is in glory. We're going to see Naboth one day. We're going to roll in there and we can ask him about that vineyard. And we can ask him about the not for sale sign. So as we close today, my prayer is the word of God has spoken to you. And I got two questions for you. Number one, where do you have these up in your life? Where are they? If you don't have any, you need some. And then my next question is, who stirs you up? Who in your life stirs you towards Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and your faithfulness, your justice. We pray today that you'd be glorified in all that we do when we leave this place. And that you continue to help us to follow you completely with all of our hearts and with all of our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.